0: Today's guest tells us that the attachment system, like the reproductive system, is a fundamental part of what it means to be human. It's the way nature engineered our survival. We'll find out more in just a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, and you are listening to Mind Talk. I am pleased to introduce you to today's guest, Peter Lovingheim. Peter is an author and journalist whose articles and essays have appeared in many, many places, including the New York Times, Parade Magazine. The Washington Post, you name it. Uh, Peter also occasionally teaches nonfiction writing at the Writer Center, which is in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, Peter Lovingheim, welcome to Mind Talk.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Now, Peter, you actually come to your study and your book. About attachment, how you're you're not a clinician, so how did you come to this interest
1: right i I'm not a psychologist i'm a I'm a writer and journalist. Um, well uh, it's a personal story. I suppose I can share it. but um, I was uh, just out of a 20 year marriage and was uh, starting to date again. Was in a relationship that was like an emotional roller coaster. Lots of ups and downs, breakups and makeups, and I was puzzled by that. It's not something I had experienced before. Uh, and then, when visiting my daughter at college, I was leafing through her psych textbook, and I came across this thing called attachment theory, which I'd never heard of. But in one section of the text, the authors described what can happen when people with two different attachment styles, and I didn't know what that meant at the time, uh, try to become a couple. And it said that they can experience lots of ups and downs and breakups and makeups and have a very turbulent relationship. Uh, it went on to describe to a T what I'd been experiencing. I was intrigued and I just wanted to learn more. That's how this all started.
0: And learn more you did.
1: I spent seven years researching this area of attachment science, uh, talking to experts in the field, um, doing a lot of uh, literature research, and then going out and meeting people who illustrated the various topics that I wanted to discuss in my book.
0: So let's start with uh, the, the main forms of attachment that you learned about let's talk about secure attachment what did you learn that means and what does it look like in a in a relationship what does it look like in a relationship
1: well a secure attachment is really what what we all want to give our children if possible people who come out of early childhood with attachment security uh, generally are able to um, uh, trust others uh, be- comfortable with intimacy Um, they, when faced with setbacks in life such as um, illness, injury or loss of a loved one they tend to have lots of resilience and they get really what I think of as the big prize they are best able to enjoy long, stable loving relationships
0: that's secure attachment and what about avoidant attachment what's that look like? Uh, avoidant attachment. Uh,
1: this this happens when when uh, an infant um, child, maybe between birth and age two or three, um, really pretty consistently fails to receive um, sensitive, uh, responsive care from whoever the primary caregiver is. And as an adult, a person with an avoidant attachment often finds it difficult to trust others uh, is not comfortable with intimacy in fact somebody like that often thinks like what's the big deal about relationships I'm fine on my own I I want to be independent and self-reliant so so these people as adults um, tend to have uh, difficulty forming and maintaining close loving relationships
0: and anxious attachment uh, anxious
1: attachment. This develops again in, in earliest childhood, where the infant or, or young child um, sometimes receives sensitive, responsive care and sometimes does not. Uh, it's inconsistent, and uh, uh, adults who grow up with this type of attachment, um, they tend to crave relationships. They just want intimacy, but it's this? Same time, they tend not to trust it, and their relationships often have a kind of push-pull quality. They are constantly seeking reassurance um, from their relationship partners. Uh, people might describe them as clingy sometimes or needy, um, but they they um, they they have trouble trusting that their relationship partners will be there for them.
0: So, in in the relationship that you just described that you were in at one point, how would, based on your research, what would you say was the likely attachment style for your then partner and for yourself, if you feel comfortable sharing that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, what I learned along the way of my research is that that uh, partner and I fell into what's sometimes called the anxious avoidant trap. Um, This is really the worst combination of attachment styles for people pairing off as partners. Um, I think my my partner probably had uh, an avoidant attachment style. And at that time, well, I would say that generally my attachment style tends towards the anxious. um, So that when people try to form this type of pair, uh, it becomes a vicious cycle where uh, uh, the anxious person is is often looking for more reassurance, looking for more intimacy. Uh, this pushes away the avoidant partner um, and which only then reinforces the anxious partner's um, sort of pre um, uh, sort of expectation of not having the type of of emotional security they're looking for. Um, and by the way, all these types of pairings can work out. Um, it's just that people with these insecure vo- uh, attachment types just have a greater challenge. Um, and one way to deal with it, if you happen to be in such a relationship, is simply to understand first what your own attachment style is. And in my book, I offer a quiz you can take. It's got 36 qu- it takes about five minutes, and it'll give you a pretty good understanding of your own attachment style. Um, but the first thing is you learn your own attachment style. Then you try to understand what your partner's is, and then you talk about it um, based on your knowledge of attachment. And people can generally work around the problem areas if they both understand those
0: things. So the, the good news about um, learning about attachment is, aside from the fact that every human being has an attachment style Uh, is that when you learn what yours is then you can perhaps navigate in a different way your own relationship choices and be able to tolerate the differences between you and your relationship choice is that a fair statement
1: yeah I mean that's exactly my I mean what I would want is for people to to understand that they have an attachment style, and then learn what it is, and then and then see it as a new lens through which to view all the relationships in their lives. And certainly, we are talking about uh, intimate romantic relationships, but really all relationships. So our attachment system uh, influences how we relate to people. You know, in all walks of life, um, family members. Uh, with aging parents, um, with our closest friends, with colleagues at work, um, even with teammates on a sports team, or relationships between a player and a coach. Um, there's interesting research showing that our attachment style even affects our the way we relate to political leaders, um, and and what our um, political leanings are as voters. So it's something that affects us in all walks of life. From um, you know, as they say, from from
0: cradle to grave. There's so much that we, there's so much energy, if you will, that we expend on teaching parents sort of the day-to-day stuff. That uh, you're right. Uh, there's there's not enough spent on helping the parents to understand how powerful they actually are in their child's life. And for a parent who hasn't grown up with that experience, him or herself, that just gets passed on to the child. Peter Lovingheim, author of The Attachment Effect, exploring the powerful ways our earliest bond shapes our relationships and lives. We will return in just a moment. (laughs) Peter, I'd like to go back to the subtitle of your book uh, and asking you a question. Again, the subtitle is Exploring the Powerful Ways Our Earliest Bond Shapes Our Relationships and Lives. So you don't say that they are poured in concrete, never to be changed or modified. You say shapes. Tell us about that.
1: Right, and that's a very good point. Um, Let's start with shapes. Uh, uh, I mean, attachment theory in the nut belt says that because humans are born helpless, um, we are hardwired at birth to seek out and attach to a, a responsible caregiver for protection. Usually, this is the mom, um, but it's not a gender specific role. It could also be the dad, grandparent, another adult. But the uh, uh, Success or failure of that search, the quality of the bond, whether it's secure and loving or um, inconsistent or even absent, will actually shape the developing brain and influence that individual in how they relate to other people throughout life. Now, the good news is that none of this is, uh, as you say, you know, poured in concrete. Um, there are ways to change one's attachment style over time. Most people actually go through their whole lives with whatever attachment style they came out of early childhood with, but about 25% seem to change and they can aim to uh, to evolve to something that's called earned secure. So that means that if you came out of early childhood with an insecure attachment style, you can become earned secure later on. Uh, How does that happen? Well, sometimes uh, a young person, you know, maybe like in high school age, might be fortunate enough to connect with a mentor or coach, some other adult who's going to provide the kind of security that wasn't there uh, early on. Other people become earned secure by becoming partners with a person who is secure, Uh, a long-term romantic relationship or a marriage with a secure person can produce that attachment security. Some people achieve this through a therapy. Um, others manage to do it through their own experience of parenting and maybe others through just very deep reflection about their own early childhood and coming to terms with what they experienced, understanding how it affected them. and over time being able to to change their orientation toward their own uh, their own past.
0: So a- again you're not necessarily bound by your early experiences which I think is in- so important for people to hear and understand and so hopeful. Uh you know if you're an adult many of the adults who have had difficult Uh, childhoods, they really get it. I mean, some will say, no, my childhood was wonderful. But for those who really understand that there were some challenges in their childhood, um, this is a very hopeful uh, process, if you will, to be aware of and to grow into. And it literally does require growing into, I would suggest.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there's another uh, aspect to this, which is also positive. Um, recent studies have shown that people with insecure attachments, while it's not the ideal place to be, nevertheless bring unique and important skills to any kind of, let's say, work team. Um, uh, I can, I can give you an example if you'd like. Please do. Yeah. So, so there was a recent study that looked at um, how. People function on a team and to do this uh, researchers brought I don't know about a dozen people into a room they knew all the people's attachment style those had been measured they asked them to stare at a computer screen uh, made up something that they should be looking at on the screen but the researchers had um, had had produced in the computer a sort of fake fire so the computer at one point started smoking And what they found was the people with the insecure, anxious attachment were the first to detect the threat from the fire. They were first to detect the smoke. And the people with the avoidant attachment, and remember those are people who wanna be like independent and self-reliant, they were the first to find a safe way out of the room. So from this and similar studies, uh, researchers conclude that in a work team, You actually want some people with anxious attachment because they will be most um, uh, uh, sensitive to possible threats. They call them sentinels. And you actually want some other people with avoidant attachment um, because they will be the first to find solutions and they call them rapid responders. Uh, In fact, in another study, they found that the most productive and successful work teams are not those composed only of people with secure attachment but of people with a mixture of attachment styles including anxious and avoidant so th- this kind of gives a whole new uh, meaning to the lo- notion of diversity in the workplace Indeed, it's, it's diversity of attachment style
0: and you know what's interesting you know certainly in this country we are so um, readily able to hear a description or a label, make it a bad thing, and then not want to deal with it ever again. And what you're talking about, again, as you've just said, really is the value of different styles in different situations.
1: Right. And I would add also that I think people with an anxious attachment style also tend to be more um, oriented toward the arts let's say, because they are, they are a little more sensitive to what they are perceiving around them, and they, they might have more uh, uh, sort of innate desire to express what they're seeing. So I think you find a lot of people who are, let's say, songwriters, um, painters, other types of artists coming from the ranks of those who came out of early childhood with some, some degree of attachment uh, anxiety.
0: Now, you shared with us a bit ago that your sense of yourself as having perhaps an anxious attachment style. Can you share with us how you think that developed within you?
1: Uh, sure. Um, I think in my own, I mean, what I've learned about my own early childhood is that um, I was the youngest of three kids, and by the time I came along, my mom had developed uh, mild case of polio so she really wasn't able to be that consistent um, caregiver Uh, my dad became my primary attachment figure but he was busy building a business at the time so he was not quite there all the time Um, he hired a a housekeeper to live in and help care for me when I was an infant Uh, sadly um, she died suddenly of a heart attack and was replaced by another living person, who subsequently was was let go. So, you know, it, I, I had many advantages in my childhood, but a consistent, reliable caregiver was probably not one of them. And so, like many people, I came out of early childhood with with a somewhat anxious attachment style. Um, however, I'm, I'm also one of the people who I think managed to become earned secure. And I say that because for my book in one of the chapters, I took what's called the adult attachment interview, which is uh, which is uh, considered the gold standard for measuring attachment in adults. It involves a, a very lengthy prescribed um, interview by a trained a person and then a, a sort of sophisticated way of scoring it. But I did come out insecure and um, the uh, the expert who gave me the test felt that that may have resulted, from my own experience in parenting, three three children.
0: Interesting. So again, as you give so much valuable information about what attachment is and how it can impact the individual and his and her surroundings, you give so much uh, support and evidence that change can be had and change can be had in a positive healthy and, empower, and, and, and empowering way
1: well I hope so and, and what I want to show is that this, something, this is something that affects us in you know, so many walks of life so uh, knowing, knowing about attachment science, knowing our own attachment style can help us be a better friend um, it can help us when we're going on a, on a date, for example, to try to some clues as to what the other person's attachment style is, even on a first date. It can help us at work, navigating all the relationships that uh, we face between colleagues, supervisors, customers. Um, and I just think it's an important tool that we can use to better all these relationships in our lives.
0: You know, you, you remind me of a word that I hear myself repeating over and over again in my practice, and that is the power of being curious and how much curiosity requires and allows you to be open and learn new information and gain new perspectives. You mentioned a moment ago that you had written an article uh, for Politico, um, which is online and available, um, about the your thoughts about the attachment style of Donald Trump, and you know talk about uh, you know somebody who engenders a great deal of energy. You know, my sense is that people either absolutely adore him, he walks on water, or, or they absolutely can't stand him. He's the worst thing since the worst, the the last worst thing. What was your sense as you wrote about and thought about um, Mr. Trump? Uh, what did you come from? What did you come away with as you were doing your work and your research?
1: Right. Well, first, let me say that you know people's reactions to the president as I noted earlier, can be not only because of the president's mm-hmm. behavior, but it, it can reflect the voter's own attachment style. So I I happen to think that that's some of what's causing the polarization, that you have people with anxious attachments and people with avoidant attachments looking at the same presidential behaviors and responding in, in dramatically different ways and for reasons that, most of most of the voters don't understand because they're not aware that their own attachment styles are affecting you know those uh, those responses. Um, but to get to your question about the president, um, I looked at, at what we know of his early childhood, and again, it's not that much, but we do know that uh, he was the fourth of five uh, children born of uh, Fred and Mary Trump, and that when his younger sibling was born his mother had a very difficult labor and after um, that birth she required a number of surgical and other procedures that kept her in the hospital and away from the home probably for several months Um, Donald Trump at that point was just over two years old and you know, there's some evidence that that separation from his mother, who was probably his primary caregiver, uh, had the typical effect of, um, of of interfering with a secure attachment. There, w- there was a live-in housekeeper in the family. We don't know what role she played in the child care, but it very well might have been a situation where there was not a consistent, um, responsive caregiver for at least part of his. very early childhood which which you know could lay the groundwork for an insecure attachment Uh, what type of insecure attachment Uh, I come out on the side believing that it's more avoidant and I base that on looking at some of um, the president's behaviors as an adult Um, these would include sort of a lack of stability in his marriages and, and romantic relationships, um, a kind of um, a more cavalier way of speaking about sexual intimacy um, than someone who had a secure attachment would probably speak of that. Um, there's, there seems to be a lack of long-term stable friendships with people outside his own family, And uh, again, there's a kind of uh, lack. There's a tendency not to be too trusting of others outside the family. Um, Like I said earlier, these are all attributes that might uh, assist someone in in campaigning and and and, uh, being successful as a politician. But in actually actual governing, they have some drawbacks. As we've seen with other political leaders so that's uh, in a nutshell what my analysis was
0: and you know as you that as you've said in addition to writing about your own attachment styles and learnings you have also and and shown us ways that other people can attach uh, you talk about attachment in the workplace, as you indicated, attachment in sports, attachment in and politics and attachment and religion, so it really, along with the attachment quiz, of course, and there are many many resources that you offer it really is um i I would suggest a, a wonderful read and i I'm just going to quote um, Dr. Sue Johnson who um, is sort of the mom of EFT, uh, in saying, she says, every reader will find this book about attachment, enlightening, and above all, moving, an easy, absorbing read. And I would certainly echo those sentiments. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Tell us a website or where folks can go for more information about what you're doing, on all the things you've written.
1: Okay, well, thank you. Let me just thank you for those kind words, and I I very much appreciate it. Um, You can learn more about this book and my other books at my own website. It's peterlovenheim.com, and that's spelled L-O-V-E-N-H-E-I-M.com.
0: Terrific. Thank you again, Peter, so much for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. And folks, thank you for joining me on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service and it is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health or other professional. You can always listen to Mind Talk on demand by going to myndtalk.org dot You can also download the Mind Talk app from your iTunes or Google Play Store. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown in twenty six by two communications i'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today so do send an email to me at pamela that's p-a-m-e-l-a at mindtalk.org and again that's m-y-n-d-t-a-l-k dot o-r-g i would love to hear your questions your comments whatever you'd like to share when you send that email to pamela at mindtalk.org and remember always if it's unacceptable It's unacceptable. You take care.